Two days ago, there were a few people walking around in short sleeve shirts. Of course, I wasn't. <laughs> I still get a little bit cold. Yesterday was a little bit cool, and then this morning I took the time and called my daughter and said, you know what? It was nice yesterday. We got white outside today, so it snowed last night, which is really nice. This is for the people out on the, you know, all of us here were able to see, see this snow and enjoy the beautiful day today, crisp, clear air. It's really crisp. I have a couple of announcements. Uh, one, there will be a new moon Bible study this evening. It will start around 7.30. I know it isn't quite sundown, but if we go too late, uh, we'll all sleep, including the guy who has to speak. <laughs> and another announcement, uh, there was an uh, announcement handed in, said, parents, please accompany small children to the bathrooms. Uh, you know, take that for what it's worth. Children sometimes want to play, so parents, be aware, watch your children. A couple weeks ago, I did a sermonette, and I was said we're going to cover, go into uh, the illegalities of the trial of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, since Passover is two weeks away now, two weeks from last night, and I wanted to cover, I was thinking about this sermon, oh, probably for a month now, and I didn't know I was going to get an opportunity to speak. Our pastor is up in Wyoming. He, on his trip back home, he ran into a lot of wind and snow, and so it uh, held him back quite a ways. He's bringing a big load. And I know from the trip that we took, that wind can really slow you down, and it uh, takes a lot of extra time. But as we come close to the Passover, we need to think to think a lot about what Christ has done for us. See, God has a master overall plan. He's in control. He knew what had to be done. And everything works by His plan. No matter how much we want to change, Jesus Christ is still, and God the Father is still in control and things will fit His plan. If we think back at the time there when Jesus Christ spoke to the disciples, He said, I, you know, I want to have this, eat this Passover with you before I, I suffer and die. So He was very much attuned to what was about to take place on His life on that Passover evening. And so he had a meal, and they ate the standard Passover meal where they sacrificed the lamb, and they ate it with their bitter herbs and all this. And somewhere in the meal, Christ, we read, where he changed the symbols to the bread, the wine. But apparently the disciples didn't catch it all at that time because right away they said, well, hey, I want to be, be on your right hand. I want to be next to you. And Christ had to sit like us today, many times we want to be next to the man on top. You know, we want, to be, we want to be his best buddy because we want to sit right next to him. We want to have all this control, you know, and power. And Christ said, wait a minute, let me show you something. He got down and washed their feet, didn't he? He humbled himself. And he was explaining to the people that this is basically what we have to do is learn to humble ourselves in front of our Creator, in front of each other. That everyone has the same opportunities. 
Maybe we all don't take it the same way, but we all have the same opportunities. And so after Christ spent some time teaching the disciples, they went to the garden. And in Matthew 26:39, Christ said, and he went a little farther. So here he took the disciples and said, because he knew what was going to happen. You know, I have to understand Christ was aware of what was going down. And he told the disciples, stay awake and pray, you know, that you don't fall into temptation. So he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as your will. So Christ knew what was about to happen. Being a human being, you know, you knew that hey, you're going to be beat on and spit at and kicked and all these things and finally have to die, you're going to say, I, want to, I don't want to be this part of this. Maybe I can change this. So Christ said the same thing. If it's possible, if it be possible, let's change this. Let's find some other way. But then he said, no, not my will, but your will. So he knew that God was still in charge, and he knew that these things had to happen. Christ knew there was a conspiracy, as I brought out in that sermonette. He was aware of that conspiracy. He was aware that these things were happening ahead of time. And what happened during that time? So here he was praying. He knew what was about to happen. He didn't want it, but he did want it, because he wanted to follow God's will. And what occurred that night? At midnight, they came and arrested him. It was a conspiracy. He knew that was going to happen. And so he said, if there was another way. How often do we say that? If there was another way to accomplish what God's got in front of us, would we do it? Or would we take the stands of Christ and say, uh-uh, not my will, but your will. So they came at night and they took Christ in Luke 22:47, Luke chapter 22, verse 47. And while he yet spoke, here he was talking to the disciples. He prayed three times, came back, spent an hour, you know, and it's right now it's midnight. And came back and the disciples were asleep. And he said, 47, and while he yet spoke, behold, he's talking to the disciples, said, wake up, it's time, things are going to begin to happen. Behold a multitude, and he that called, was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus and kissed him. He had a sign, he told them he would give them. He said, I'll kiss him, I'll show you who's who. Luke 22, 52 now. And when Jesus said unto the chief, then Jesus said to the chief priests and the captains of the temple and the elders that were come to him, Be you come out as against a thief? They came out there armed like he was guilty of some major crime. Said, You come out to me as, as against a thief with swords and staves? And when I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hand against me? But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Christ was in charge, this is showing. 
Three times before this, they tried to take him. Couldn't do it because it wasn't time. Christ and the Father were in charge. They knew that this was the time. So three times before they had tried to take him, they had this conspiracy. They didn't know exactly when, but the time was come. Matthew 27, verse 1, And when the morning was come, and the chief priests and elders took their counsel against Jesus to put him to death. That was the conspiracy. Is that conspiracy new? No. <laughs> That's nothing new. It's the same old conspiracy, isn't it? A conspiracy that started way back before mankind when Halel conspired against God and Christ who was called the Word at that time, with the angels and had a third of them go contrary to God and became a revolution. And they wound up on the bottom end. The same conspiracy that took place in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? Come up to Adam and Eve and said, Oh, you know, God has something that you can't have. And turned them against God. Same conspiracy here that brought these scribes and Pharisees, what was their problem? Were they really upset that, that uh, Christ was really guilty of something? No, the conspiracy was they were afraid they were going to lose their position. They were the spiritual leaders, and now here's this one man teaching the truth, having a lot of people listening to him, and they thought if the Roman government realizes that he's the spiritual leader, we're going to lose our job. So they conspired to get rid of him so that they could keep their jobs. What a sad state of affairs. You know, Jesus knew what, the what these Pharisees were like. If you turn to Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, Jesus knew what they were like. He told them. Jesus said in Matthew 23:13, "But woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites." He knew they were hypocritical on the things they did. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men with their ideas and all the things that they had to do and all these integral things. They shut up the heaven. They shut up getting to God. For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer you them that are entering to go in because of the way they lived their life. Today we find the same thing. Is there not people out here that shut up the kingdom by, because of conspiracies, because they don't like what's being told? Are they not hypocritical themselves? They shut up the kingdom. They say, if you like this person, well, you can't be a part of me. And that's a sad state of affairs. In Proverbs 16, 27, and 28. Proverbs 16, 27, 28. I'm going to have a lot of scriptures. Maybe you don't have to turn to them. You can write them down. Because I know that as we come closer to the Passover, these are things that we really need to think about. We really need to look into and apply it to our personal life. We need to understand all that Christ went through and knowing that he knew these things happened beforehand. In Proverbs 16, 27, the ungodly men dig up evil 
Now here these scribes and Pharisees had Christ brought in, illegally captured him at night, bound his hands, brought him in front of them, and what did they do? They didn't have a crime at that point in time. They had to search out some way to prove he was guilty of some crime worthy of death. So they were ungodly men digging up evil. They were, they were For hours they were bringing people in, digging up evil. And his lips, there is a burning fire. These evil people, these that are conspiring, these that are trying to find something wrong, they bring, they bring on burning. A forward, forward man sows strife. And a whisperer separates the cheapest of friends. And so we had whispering going on. What about here in our own lives? That's something we need to think about. The word forward is 8419. Uh, it means perversity or perverse things, which also means pig-headed, bull-headed, rotten, hard-headed, malicious, and stubborn people. Is that fit any of us at this time? Do we get that way? Do we try to find something about a brother or sister? So when we come toward the Passover, when we're supposed to examine ourselves, think about those things. The ungodly man digs up dirt. If we're godly, we're digging up love. We're trying to help each other. And so Christ was saying about the scribes and Pharisees, they were ungodly because they saw... The, the most they could to find something about Christ that they could say He's worthy of death. And so they were stubborn, pig-headed people who wouldn't change. They would not listen. And that's a, a good clue for us to think of how we live our daily life. We have to be like Christ. We know things are going to happen. We must live the way Christ wants us to live. Matthew 26, 3 and 4. Matthew 26, 3 and 4. Then assembled uh, together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the place of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and, and counseled that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. So here they're working, they're trying to figure out some way because they wanted to get rid of Christ. And so they did what? They met at night. At night? What's this? Isn't most courts handled in the daytime? Do you know that that was an illegal process? It was illegal for them to meet at night without the Roman government knowing what was going on. And yet they did it. And they accused Christ of being a blasphemy or a firmer and a, one who was leading insurrections. And here, that's what they were doing. That was the conspiracy to get rid of Jesus Christ because they were afraid of losing their own position. Too many times as a human being we're so tied to physical things. It's too tied to physical things. We're not like Abraham. And I was talking to a person today or yesterday and said, you know, with Abraham, and God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And then when the son was as a young man, he said, you know what, I want you to kill him. 
Now, what would we do? Here you've got a favorite son, the only son, or our own daughter. And God said, I'm going to give you something. And he said, now go and take it out and kill that one. We'd probably balk at that, wouldn't we? But that's not what Abraham did. He trusted God, didn't he? So he didn't listen to the conspiracies, but he loved God that much. I want us to turn, if we would now, to Psalms chapter 2. I think Psalms chapter 2 is a Passover psalm. Because there's so much in it about what is going to happen. The book of Psalms chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? What was happening at this time with Jesus Christ? These were their, they were imagining vain things. They wanted to get rid of Christ. So here in the book of Psalms, it said they imagined vain things. Did not Christ understand that? He knew that. He knew the Scriptures. He knew what it was saying there. He knew that this was going to happen to him. It says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Isn't it the same old rotten attitude? Satan told the angels, God got more on us than, than what we, He's letting us have. Isn't that what He brought out to the many different people? What about with Samuel? Samuel was placed as a judge over the nation of Israel. They came to him and said, we don't want you to judge us. Come on, Samuel. Give us a king. What did Jesus say to them? They don't hate you, Samuel. They hate me. It's what it's saying right here in verse 2. The kings of the earth have set themselves against the Father and against Jesus Christ in it. Same thing at this day and time. They didn't hate Christ, they hate what Christ was teaching. They hated the Father and Christ. And so they conspired to get rid of Him. Verse 3, Let us break, they said, their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We want to get rid of God in Christ. We don't want God to lead us and take care of us and teach us and, and give us everything. Let's cast that all away. And He that sits in the heavens laughs. Can you imagine? People sit down here and conspire and try to do all these different things, and the Father's sitting up there just laughing at them. Because his mind is so far ahead of man's, it's just, it's, man is really pathetic in those areas. And he that sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord shall have them in division, or confusion, or put them down. They think they're in charge. God looks at you, you think you're in charge. You think you've set everything up. He didn't. Said God said, I'm still in charge. He's laughing at their actions because it's only following a plan that was set out so long ago to give and make a family. You know, Jesus was in charge during the meal or beforehand, you know, they tried to capture him. I brought that out. They couldn't do it. And yet, at the end of the meal, after they had broken the bread, drank the wine, washed the feet, Christ said to Judas, it's time. <laughs> it's time. This is the time. Go do what you are supposed to do. 
even though they wanted it many times before, it wasn't time. Jesus was saying, I'm in charge. The same thing holds true, like even with Job, remember? Satan wanted Job but couldn't do nothing until God said, okay, you can do it. And you only can do this much. Well, same thing here. No matter how hard they tried, God was still in charge. And he let them do it on his terms at his time frame. Verse 5 in Psalms 2. Then shall they speak unto them in his wrath. Then he shall speak them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. And yet have I set my king upon my holy hill. So we don't want to find ourselves at a time where we're on the opposite side of God. God is setting Christ on his holy hill, Mount Zion. Hebrews 12.2 tells us, Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne on high. That's what Christ is today. God put him there. Even though men think they're in charge, God's going to, he's going to vex them down the line. So they thought they got rid of Christ, and God put him in place in, as king of kings. Verse 7, And I will dec declare the decree, degree, the Lord has said unto me, You are my son, this day have I begotten you. Ask of me, and I shall give you the heathen for an inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for a possession. Where does Christ sit today? He is in possession of everything. When he returns, all people will come to him. Christ will be in possession of all things. And you shall break them, talking of the future, you shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall dash them in pieces like a pottage vessel. This is what's going to happen to humanity, to all their great thoughts and all their plans and stuff. God's going to break them in pieces. He says then in verse 10, Be wise now, therefore, O you kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Who's he talking to there? If we look at 1 Peter 2.9, you'll see that we're called kings and priests. And in Hebrews, or Revelation chapter 1, 5, and 6, we're told we're kings and priests. So here God's telling to us, be instructed. He's telling the church and those that love Him, be instructed. Instructed in what? What are we to be instructed in? Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing. That's what we're to be doing, serving Christ, serving the Father, and rejoice in trembling. You know, really follow everything He gives us to do. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. You know, it's very difficult if we're staying away from Christ. You know, we're told to resist the devil, but we're also told that we should come close to Christ. So if we're kissing the Son, if we're up there following His direction, He won't be angry at us. You know, Paul told me, told all of us, he said, you know, there are things that I know I should do and I don't do. And the things I know I 
uh, I should do, I don't, and things I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. So, you know, we've got to change our attitude sometimes. But we're human again, and we still have the same difficulties, and we're still in the same boat. We know God's will, but we're saying so many times, let's change the process. We don't want to do it that way. So it says, come close to Christ. Follow Jesus Christ all the way, lest he be angry. Now, we know what happened to the church. He was a little bit displeased with what happened, and then he got angry, and the church was busted apart. So we know how angry God can get when we look back in all the scriptures and we see how he destroyed hundreds of thousands of people because they didn't follow his directions. So kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish from the way. That's what happens if we really get God angry, we're not going to be around. And when his wrath is kindled but a little, so, you know, a little, God broke the church apart, didn't he? Blessed are they that put their trust in Him. If we want to be blessed, we're really going to have to put our trust in Christ. Trust that whatever's going to come along the line will be for our benefit. When Christ sat up there and He said that, remember, He said, let's change this if it's possible. But He said, no, I trust you. Let it, your will be done, because he trusted his Father. It's a matter of faith. And God wants our faith and our trust following him. So it's a matter of trust. So when they brought Christ, you know, we, they were there, they came in, Christ had prayed, he said these, this word, that he said these words to the Father that not his will not Christ's will, but the Father's will be done. They came in, they captured Christ, they tied him up, they brought him down, and they spent hours and hours bringing false witnesses in. Who can find something wrong with Christ? Psalm chapter 35, verse 11. They brought in a lot of false witnesses. Couldn't get any one of them to compare, you know, to to match the other one, because they knew by the mouth of two or three witnesses a person's convicted. But they couldn't get two people to agree on the same thing. So hour after hour, they brought these people in. Psalm 35, Christ knew this. This is something Christ knew ahead of time. Psalm 35:11. false witnesses did raise up, and they laid to my charge things that I knew not. And can you imagine... You're brought in front of a council or whatever, and they're bringing up crimes against you, supposedly crimes, and you're scratching your head and thinking, when did all that happen? <laughs> they brought things about Christ that he hadn't even any idea what they were talking about. So here these people were bringing up ideas that they didn't have any idea about either. Psalm 62, verse 4. Psalm 62, verse 4. They only consult to cast him down from the excellency. 
They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. So here, prior to this time, they were, oh, Christ is the greatest. I mean, hey, he teaches all these nice, wonderful things, but inwardly, their heart wasn't there. It's something for you and me to think about as we come close to the Passover. We're only two weeks away, and a lot of time yet to think about it. Do we bless Christ with our mouth, but our inward actions are totally opposite? Really think about that. Think of that applying to our life, because it not only applies to us today, but it applied to those people at that time, and Christ knows that. Chapter 64, verses 3 through 6. Chapter 64, 3 through 6. Who wet their tongues like a sword. You know, they take the sword, you're trying to sharpen it. You've got a stone out there, the stone has to be wet to sharpen it. So they wet their tongues like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. So it's not talking about an arrow and a, and a sword, but they're talking about the words of their mouth. Again, what are our words of our mouth? We're coming to Passover. Are we wetting our sword? Are we shooting our arrows at one another, at Christ? You know, each one of us are called sons of God. We're all called to be the bride of Christ. Should we sharpen our swords? Should we shoot our arrows at each other? No, we can't do that. That they may shoot in secret at the perfect. <laughs> Sometimes... I think I'm so good, you know, and that person's so bad, so we shoot our words at them because we are good and they are bad. No. That's why we've got to watch what we say. We, don't, we can't shoot our words in secret. Suddenly do they shoot at Him and fear not. Well, they were shooting swords at Christ. They were lying. They admitted they had false witnesses. Well, they couldn't get anybody to agree. We cannot be a false witness, brethren. They encouraged themselves in an evil matter. <laughs> what was happening with Christ at that time? It was an evil matter. They were trying to commit murder and saying, we are the one in charge, so consequently what we do is right. It was an evil matter. They commune in lying snares privately. They say, who shall see them? Look what they were doing. They were doing this at night. Isn't it interesting that everything that happens at night, I mean, when it comes to conspiracies, are done at night in secret. Well, that was what's happening to Christ. They search out iniquity. They accomplish a diligent search, both the inward thoughts of every one of them and the heart is, is deep. So they do these things at night. They were trying to commit a conspiracy and kill our Savior. So, <clears throat> Psalm 31, verse 18. Psalm 31, verse 18. Let the lying lips be put into silence. Boy, that's a real tremendous statement. Lying lips to be put to silence. 
which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. When you're lying lips, and Christ is pointing this out to the church, you know, we know from all the sermons we've heard, we know through the time we've been in the church that these things are written to the church. We have to be very careful of everything we say. Lying lips should be put to silence. That could be permanent silence. So we need to be very careful of what we think and how we say things. So now let's take a look at how he would have, how Christ thought would happen to him. Well, he knew what was going to happen to him. And it is, and then think about this, because he knew what was going to occur the next day when he told the disciples before the Passover. He said, "I want to eat this. I really desire to eat this meal." He knew he had but a day to live. He knew he had a day, but a day to uh, have a healthy body. And so it's no wonder when he said, if it were possible, take the cup away. If you were to think right now and somebody said to you or you knew that tomorrow you would be beaten beyond recognition, you would be nailed to a stake, and speared, and finally die, and you knew there was another way, yeah, you would say, hey, if it's another way out, let's do it. But Christ said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path that leads to righteousness. So Christ had to say, not my will, because human will is the easy path, but your will. Matthew 20, verse 19. Matthew 20, 19. And they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him and the third day rise again. Christ said this. He knew this was going to happen long before it occurred. He knew that. Praying there to the Father. He knew they were going to give him up to the Romans. He knew they would beat him. And he knew he would be crucified. But he also knew he would raise the third day. So he trusted God. That's why he could say, not my will, but yours. Because he had the faith and trust in God. And so it gets down to us. We know things must occur. We know that we've been shown different things on the Passover. Are we then going to say, not my will, because I want to be like the rest of the church. I don't want to be different. I don't want to be keeping the feast separately like a few of these oddball people must be. I want to be like the rest of them. You know, that's, uh, that's the easy broad path. But we should say in our heart, not my will, Father, because I know I'll take the easy road, but your will be done. And so when we're told things and shown things, if we're really faithful, believing God and Christ, we'll say, not my will. No, I'm not going to do it my way. 
your will be done. Again, in John 3.14, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He knew that. He understood he's going to have to be nailed to a stake and raised up. He knew that way ahead of time, didn't he? And so, in his mind, realizing these things, yeah, hey, if we could find some other way to accomplish the plan, let's do it. I mean, we all would do that, wouldn't we? If there was some easier way, let's do it that way. But Christ knew there wasn't but one plan. It had been set down from the very beginning, and it had to follow that order. So, not my will, Father, but yours. Look what happened at the high priest's house. So now we're going to see what our Savior went through for us. It started there at Caiaphas' house. They brought all these witnesses in. They lied. They conjured up all kinds of nonsensical things. Things that Christ didn't even know about. Blamed Him for them. Then the high priest realized, I can't even get two people to agree. And they brought two of them together, and they said, yeah, He said, uh, destroy this temple. That's not what He said. They said, they said, he said he will destroy the temple and in three days raise it again. But we know that's not what Christ said. I mean, it was a lie too because Christ said you destroy this temple, this physical body, you destroy it, and in three days I'll raise it up again. So they lied about it. The high priests realized they were lying and it wouldn't hold water. And it wasn't anything that they could say well, you know, so you say you can destroy a building, like this building here, I can tear it down in, in uh, one day and then I can build it back in three days. You sit and say, ha, 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 I saw it happen. It took a month to build this building. can't happen. And so is that worthy of death? No. So the high priest understood that. Then the high priest asked him a question, and he said, I didn't know he was the high priest. And here... In John 18:22, this happened. This was the beginning of the punishment that was delivered to our Savior. John 18:22 happened right there in the priest's house. And when he had spoken thus, you know, I didn't know you were the high priest. One of the officers stood by and struck Jesus with his palm of his hands and saying, Answer you, the high priest, so? I mean, because he said, I didn't know you were the high priest, the guy reached over and just swaps him a good one. Was it worthy of that? That's human reasoning, isn't it? That's human mind power. Matthew 26, 67 and 68. Then they spit in his face. You know, they suck up the spit and the snot and spit right in His face, our Savior's face, and buffeted Him. And others smote Him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, you Jesus. Who is He that smote you? 
Well, if we read through the other accounts, we see what really happened was that they blindfolded him, and then they started beating on him and hitting him and saying, You're a prophet. Who did it? Was he worthy of this? Did our Savior really deserve this? And when the men held Jesus, mocked him, the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him, and when they had blindfolded him, and this is Luke twenty-two sixty-three. When they had blindfolded him, they struck him in the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who smote you? They held him. They did it. And then they got down on their knees and said, Oh, we worship you. And they beat on him. Our Savior was not worthy of one bit of that. As we come to the Passover, I want us to think about that. Think of what Christ was willing to do for me. They took him to Pilate next. They lied and all these things to Pilate. Luke 23, verses 1 and 2. Luke 23, verses 1 and 2. Now he's in front of Pilate. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We find this fellow perverting the nation. Wait a minute, who's perverting the nation here? Oh, we find him perverting the nation, lying, what they were doing, and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. They lied. Who was perverting it? They were. Who caused the insurrection at that time? They did. It's always this thing I was telling my wife. You put your finger out, you know, Get one finger pointing at the person, one pointing at God, and three back at yourself. So who's the guilty party? <laughs> the three that looking back at yourself. But they never do that. They never want to say, I'm the guilty party. So they brought him in front of Pilate, and they accused, made up lies to the head of the Roman government in that point. John 19, verses 1 through 3. John 19 Verses 1 through 3. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. You know what that means? They took him over to a post, bound his hands on this post, probably had his feet bound. They stood back with a whip and beat him with a whip. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they uh, put it on him and put on him a purple robe and they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. You know, I've fallen in blackberry bushes before. As a kid up in Ohio, we had a tire swing and we swung out there and the thing broke one time and we all went out there in the blackberry bushes. And it didn't feel good. But mainly we had clothes on, you know. We were only getting a few on our hands and a couple on our face. Here they took a, a crown or a wreath of thorns. You know, think about rosebud thorns. You know, they're pretty big, pretty, pretty tough. And they wound that thing up and they crammed it down on his head. 
and the blood had to come out. And I'm sure it felt really good, didn't it? And it had to be a lot of pain in that. And this is what the soldiers did as they beat him. And then we go through and read what Christ knew was going to happen. So we're going to go to Isaiah now, chapter 15, verse 6. This is what happened to our Savior. It was foretold ahead of time. He knew it. So he's praying up there and saying, Father, I know what's going to happen. Can we change that process? <laughs> Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheek to them that plucked off the, the hair. And I hid not my face from the shame and the spitting. He gave his back to the smiters. He was there, chained to that fence or tied to that post rather, and they beat on him with a whip. 53. Verse 3. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men. I mean, he was despised. He was even rejected by his own followers. We know they all fled, although John and, and uh, Peter watched the, the proceedings there at Caiaphas' house. And Peter denied Christ three times. We know that happened. But he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And he hid as it were, we hid as it were, our face from him. How many times have you and I fit this verse here? Are we despising Christ? Have we despised him? Have we hidden our face from him at times? He was despised and we esteemed him not. Matthew chapter 20, verse 19. Matthew 20, verse 19. And they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him and the third day he'll raise. We read that once before. Christ knew that. That happened. We have to face the facts. Christ went through that. Turn back now to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22 is a psalm I like to read on Passover evening because it has so much a deep meaning of what our Savior went through for me. Psalm chapter 22. Here, Christ cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember when he was hanging on the stake and he cried out, Why am I here by myself? Where are you, Father? We know God had to turn his back. Had he not turned his back, Humanity would have ended. Here was his companion, been his companion forever, who gave up that life, came to earth as a human being, lived 33 years, and now here he is, hanging on the stake, dying. 
And he cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from my words and my roaring? He came to realize at that point in time what it meant to give his life for us. And he had to be alone at that time. So think about that. Christ was all alone. At that point in time, he accepted the sin of humanity. And since he was so sinful and so dirty, God had to turn his back. And he had to turn his back because it was the sacrifice that he, the Father, was giving for us. And I can't imagine even right now as a human being, taking one of these goats or a sheep and slitting its throat and watching it bleed to death. To me, that would be very difficult. I'm glad that there are others that can do it because I don't think I could manage doing that. And so here our Father had to watch that happen to Christ. And so he cries out, Why am I all by myself? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you hear not. And in the night season, and I'm, I am not silent, but you are holy. Recognizing that God is holy. And oh you that inhabit the praise of Israel, because God is in charge. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you did deliver them. Look at uh, Daniel, who loved God and prayed three times a day, and they threw him in the lion's day. He trusted God, and God delivered him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God delivered them. Isaac, who was laid out as a young man on a pile of wood, tied up, his father had that curved knife right at his throat, ready to rip it across and cut his jugular vein, let him bleed out, and God delivered him because Abraham and Isaac trusted him. And so here he says, Our fathers trusted you, and they delivered them. They cried unto you, and they delivered. They trusted in you, and you were not confounded. Christ is sitting there. He's saying, Look! What happened before? You were there for all these people. I'm now here by myself. I love you. I want to be with you. Verse 6, but I am a worm. See, he was, didn't think of himself as the great king and things. He said, I'm a worm. I'm nothing. And I think sometimes, how many times I think of how great I am. Well, I'm nothing. If Christ felt himself a worm, what am I? Less than dirt? He said, I am but a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. He came in John 3.16 not to condemn the world, but to bring the world back to God and to provide a way that people can be God's. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lips and they shake their heads saying, you know, 
They shake their head. Psalm, you keep stay here, but you, in Psalm 44:14 says, "You make us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people." Us, we're becoming a byword too. And they're shaking their head at us. But this is what happened to Christ, and He knew it was going to happen. In Psalm 109, verse 25 says, I became also a reproach unto them. When they looked upon me, they shook their heads. Christ hanging on the stake, they were up there shaking their heads and wagging their heads, saying, You saved these people, save yourself. You say you're the Son of God. Why aren't you taking that? Why isn't he taking care of you? Our Savior was there on that stake. Everything that was predicted was happening in time order. Verse 8 of 22, chapter 22. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. And that's what they said, didn't they? They're standing out there saying, Oh, you say. God will deliver you. Let him deliver him. Let him deliver him. See if he delights in him. I mean, here he is hanging on a stake. God must not delighted in Christ. Didn't deliver him, did he? At least in their eyes. But we know it was a purpose. But you are he that took me out of the womb, did make me to hope, when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from the womb. You are my God from my mother's belly. Be you not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Christ realized how lonely it was for him. He was all alone there and needed God's help. Many bulls have compassed me, Strong bulls of Bashan, they have be set up around me. They grope upon me with their mouth. Wasn't that what they were doing? Cursing him, calling him all kinds of names, biting on him with their mouth, with all the rotten words they could come up with. As ravaging and roaring lions, they were eating him up. They're trying to find every possible way, calling him all kinds of names, accusing him of all things. That's our Savior. That's what Christ was going through from the time that they tied him up there in the garden, carried him to Caiaphas, carried him to Pilate, and then the soldiers beating on him and cursing him and finally taking him to the, to the stake. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. You know what happens when you melt wax? We used to make wax figures out of beeswax. And if you get it too hot, it just kind of loses all kind of form. Imagine now, again I bring out Christ tied to that stake. And they bring that whip back and throw it forward and it wraps around his body and those little pieces of steel and whatever they got on the tip reach into his flesh and rip out a piece of flesh. 
and it opened his body up so that he could look down when he was nailed to the stake, dying, and see his bones looking back at him. And do we take that lightly? Do we realize that he went through that, that we could have good health? He was willing to have that ripped open that we could say, I trust you. I ask that flesh, that beating of Christ to be applied to my physical sin because I don't feel good and I want to be healed. And if we take that lightly, we're, we're really taking God's name in vain. He did that that we could be healed, brethren. He was tied to that stake, whipping after whipping after whipping. I can't imagine the pain that had to be dealt with in that. And they beat him and beat him. And you wonder, how long will this go on? Isaiah 52, verse 14 as many as were astonished at you, his visage was so marred more than any man from, and his form more than the sons of men. I'm going to read this same passage, Isaiah 52:14, from the New Living Translation. It gives a little better picture, I think. Many were amazed when they saw him. You know, when he carried that stake down the road. They saw Him. They were amazed when they saw Him. Beaten and bloodied. So disfigured, one could scarcely know He was a person. Was He beaten? I mean, how would they be able to say that? That He could not even recognize Him as a human because they beat Him so bad. And He did that for me. Psalm 129, verse 3. The plowers plowed upon my back and they made long furrows. Long their furrows. The only saying there is that whip went down and just sliced down his back and left great big scars. And can you imagine, I want you to think about this because we're going to the Passover. We're going to take a piece of bread that represents that very beating that Jesus Christ took for us so that we could be healed and not take it lightly. We're to examine ourselves. Are we in the same category of Christ? 1 Peter 2, 24. Who... His own self bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. By that beating, that ripping off of that flesh that we're going to take a little bite of, representation, that we could be healed. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 5. 
Isaiah 53, 1 through 5. Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who is it revealed to? His people. Who believes their report? We better believe that report. The world doesn't. They had a funeral. Biggest in the history of people. And they worshiped the man. We see the report is that our Savior died that all human beings could be a part of the family. For He shall grow up before Him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. Why do we want to make Christ some oddball-looking thing or some great, big, beautiful thing? Because it says it. The report is that He has no form or incumbents. And when we shall see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. Why can't we read what the Father gives? That's why He says, Who's going to believe our report? People won't do that. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our face from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Surely He has borne our grief. Our physical, human grief He bore and carried our sorrows, all of our aches and pains, all of our hurts. Yet, we esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. As Terry brought out in the sermon that breaking of God's law, physically and spiritually. He was wounded for our transgressions. Not His, ours. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. So again, it's emphasized that all that Jesus Christ went through before He died was to give us physical healing. Because He loved us that much. Are you willing to do that? Which one of uh, each one of us, which one person would you say, I ain't going to get beat for you? Our husband, our wife, our children, our friends, our families. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say, beat me, tear my flesh out, that they can be healed? Yet Christ did that for us. Psalm 22, verse 15 now. My strength is dried up like a pottage. My tongue cleaves to my jaw, and you have brought me to the dust of death. Remember when he's hanging on that stake, he cried out for something to drink? They gave him vinegar? His strength was gone. You'd be beaten like Christ was more than any human being as it said there in the, that you couldn't even recognize him. He was beaten so bad, you couldn't recognize him. And here he's at the dust of death. The dogs have compassed me. They assembled the wicked. They have closed, uh, enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Think about that. 
When you go and take the Passover and you're drinking the wine, think about having your hands crossed and driving a nail in there and boom, it goes right through your hand. And not one blow, but many blows. And each blow had to hurt as it went between the bones because he didn't have a broken bone. So they had to find that spot, that hollow point, and drove that nail. And it took several blows to drive that thing through his hands on that stake. And many times, we take it lightly. That's why Paul jumped their case about that. Because you take it too lightly, what Christ did for us. They crossed his feet because he was on a stake. And they drove that nail in that stake the same way. And it hit that with that hammer. And it had to go, it had to hurt every blow. It didn't go through all the way the first blow, or the second, or the third, or the fourth. He had to nail it through his legs, through that hollow point of his, his ankles. And then they took that stake with him hanging on it, and raised it up with that hole in the ground, and down it came, and when that did, all that pressure on the hands ripping at that part of his flesh. When we take the Passover, it's important to realize what our Savior went through for us. Then not take this thing lightly. This is not a, a light matter. And he did it because he loved us. <laughs> he loved us. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare at me. So as he was hanging there now, dying, he looked down on his body where that whip had ripped open the flesh, and he could see his bones staring back at him. They parted my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. You know what they did? Happened. They cast lots because the clothing he had was valuable. But he saw that happen because he was still alive. It's hard to imagine that to me, to realize that here he was nailed to a tree and it says it's cursed to be nailed to a tree. And he accepted that as we realized in, or heard in Hebrews. But be not you far from me, O Lord, my strength. Hasten you to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dogs. These people that are around him, these soldiers and scribes and Pharisees, were just like a bunch of, a pack of wild dogs biting on Christ, trying to find everything wrong with him. Save me from the lion's mouth, for you have heard me from the horn of the unicorn. I will declare your name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise you. That's what Christ did. In the midst of the congregation, Christ was praising God. You that fear the Lord, who's that? That's talking about us. You that fear the Lord, praise Him. All you seed of Jacob, 
all of you that are in the spiritual body of Christ, in the spiritual body of Israel. Glorify Him, fear Him, all you, the seed of Israel. For He has not despised nor abhorred the affection of the afflicted, neither has He hid His face from Him. But when He cried unto Him, He heard. When we cry to Christ, when we look up there and we're hurting and, you know, we have all these difficulties, whether it be a loss of a job or a family member, or just hurt, just sick, if we cry to Christ, He will hear us. He makes that a promise. He will hear us because He loves us that much. My praise shall be of you in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before uh, them that fear Him. So all us that are in God's congregation, great congregation, Christ will give praise for us. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. You know, as long as we're meek, Christ says, the meek will inherit the earth. Blessed are they that are meek. They'll inherit the earth. The meek shall eat. And certainly as long as we stay meek, God will feed us. He will take care of us. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. So we're getting spiritual food every week. Are we satisfied because God's giving us that spiritual food? They shall praise the Lord that seek Him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before Him. That is going to happen. Because if they don't, they will not be around. Because what God has done for us, unless they're willing to worship Him, they just won't, they'll just cease to exist. They become ashes. For the kingdom of the Lord's, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and He is the governor among the nations. And all they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. And all they that go down to the dust shall bow before Him. And none can keep alive his own soul. No, we can't keep ourselves alive. It has to come from Christ. It has to come from the Father. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. And they shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto the people that shall be born and that he has done this. Our job will be to tell of what Christ did for mankind. And as people are born in the future, we're to tell them, what Christ did. How He fixed it so we could be God ourselves, And this is going to happen. And know all that Christ went through, even though He went through all this beating, beating, slapping, cursing, lying, all this stuff that He went through, you know, He never gave a railing accusation. 
What about us? If someone says something about us, do we get upset and come back at them? If someone falsely accuses us, do we falsely accuse them back? If someone hits us, do we hit them back? If we're driving down the highway and we make a mistake and someone doesn't like it and blows the horn and salutes us, do we salute them back? Do we curse them because they cut us off? You know, think about that in our own personal life. Christ never brought a railing accusation. No matter what He went through, He didn't point the finger. He didn't cut them down. He took it with His mouth closed. Isaiah 53 verse 7 says, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before the shearers is dumb. So He opened not His mouth. He knew that was to happen. And it did. Christ never opened His mouth. In Acts 8.32 says, the place of the Scripture which we read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before the shearers, He opened not His mouth. It was told, just like we were said there in... Psalm 22 at the end, they told those that were born later that Christ never brought a railing accusation. 1 Peter 2.23 says, Who, when He was reviled, and wasn't He reviled? Reviled not again. And when He was suffered, He threatened not. So they beat on Him, but He didn't threaten them. But committed Himself to Him that judges rightly. This is to where we've got to come ourselves. We've got to come to that point in our life where we follow the same standards, the same things that Christ did. We must act and live like Christ lived. Because somebody beats on us, we don't falsely accuse them and start beating back. We don't go to battle with them. Is it any wonder that Jesus Christ when he was praying in the garden, knowing these things were going to happen, that he prayed so hard that his blood was like, I mean, his sweat was like droplets of blood because he knew all that we went through today was going to happen. It'd be hard, wouldn't it, to do that? It'd really be hard. What Mark 14.36 says about that prayer, worded a little bit different. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto you. He knew everything was possible with God. Everything was possible. Take away the cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. A little different wording of what happened in the garden. How would we do that? How would we approach that? How would we take knowing that these things are going to come? Christ said, I'll do it your way. Are we willing to do what God teaches us His way? You know, when we come to the Passover, I want us to think and contemplate how deep 
the wounds of Jesus Christ was. How deep was that wound for me? Think about that, because we don't want to take the bread lightly. How great was that sacrifice for me? We go to that Passover. We need to ask that of ourselves. How much love was shed for me? Because it wasn't just a beating and a sacrifice. It was love that was no end. How deep was that wound? How far did that spear go in? How much blood fell and ran down as he hung there on that stake? We're coming to the Passover. Don't take it lightly. It's very important. Think on those things. And we will take the Passover worthily then.